Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Stand with me this morning. I don't know about you, but I feel better than when I came. Anybody feeling better already? Can you give Jesus a shout this morning? Father, we bless you. Thank you, Lord. Tell you what, we're going to conclude our series on stuck. How many of you know it's not good to be stuck? Uh, Being unstuck is better. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you love us. We're grateful that we're gathered here today. We love you. We exalt you. We're excited about you. We're thrilled about you and what you're doing in our life. And God, we just give you praise today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. Being stuck is uh, an inconvenience. Being stuck can be embarrassing. Uh, When I first started mowing this year, we have a ditch in front of our house, a drainage ditch, and I I mow that ditch, and it's about 100 yards long, the part that I mow, and at the beginning of the year, I got stuck in the ditch. It was wetter than I thought, so I'm in my zero-turn lawnmower. I'm stuck there, and I'm throwing mud everywhere, and Listen, if you get a big zero-turn lawnmower stuck, you can't get it out by yourself. So I thought I'm going to have to get the truck, tie a chain on it, tie a rope, pull it out. And all the time I'm stuck, there's people driving down the road looking at my stuckness. A little embarrassing. And I'm sure they're driving by and say, that guy's stuck. And then a pickup goes by, and the two guys, they they pull over, and they say, hey, looks like you're stuck. And I said, I am. And they said, can we help you? And so they get out, and they said, you go on the mower, and and you start it up and get it going, and we'll push you out. And they got me out, and let me tell you, it was a blessing that these two angels of a guy that uh, come by, they, they got me unstuck. And I don't know who they were. They didn't even give me their names. They pushed me out, and it was a blessing. It, it reminds me of the story about the, the older lady who locked her keys in the car. Have you ever locked your keys in the car? And she didn't know what to do, didn't know who to call. And, and, and finally, this, this guy pulls up on a cycle, and, and uh, she says, Sir, I, I locked my keys in the car. Can you help me? And he was kind of a rough-looking guy, and he, he said, well, ma'am, I, I can get your keys out of your car. And, and he goes to work and gets the car unlocked and hands the keys to the woman. And she said, oh, thank you. I've prayed that somebody would help me. And said, uh, you're, you're just an angel to help me. And, and the guy said, ma'am, uh, listen, I'm no angel. I just got out of prison for car theft. <laughs> and she said, and the Lord sent me a professional. That's what God does, right? If you're stuck, He just helps you. Um, I was thinking this week about Edison. You know, he was perfecting the light bulb. He didn't invent it, but he was the one who brought it to practicality. And he was looking for all these filaments to work in a light bulb that wouldn't burn out quickly. And, you know, he went through really thousands of different uh, trials and tests and experiments. And Someone asked him, said, well, have you found out what works? He says, no, but I know a thousand things that don't work. But eventually, he, he did perfect that. And so as I was reading, you may know of a guy by the name of J- James Dyson. How many of you have a Dyson vacuum cleaner? 
Uh, we have two at our house. One works part of the time. The other one works really good. So that's why we bought the second one. And James Dyson uh, was uh, kind of inventor, and he was looking for something that worked better than the vacuum bag type vacuum sweeper that he had. So he thought, I'll, I'll develop something different, something better. And so he went through 5,126 attempts of a prototype, and he failed 5,126 times. But on the 5,127th time, it worked. Now, listen, this was 15 years. He went almost bankrupt. He spent everything that he had. But on the 5,127th time, he got unstuck. And according to the Sunday Times Rich List of 2020 in Britain, he is listed as the richest man in Great Britain at 16 billion pounds, which equals 20 billion dollars in American money. I would say he got unstuck. What do you think? Now, listen, he didn't go from here to there in just a moment. It took some time. It took some, uh, it took some trials. It took some attempts. And, and you and I can be stuck in many ways through the process. You can be stuck in your marriage. You can be stuck financially in a bad relationship, in grief, despondency, despair. I personally know someone for the last several years has been stuck in grief and despondency. It's affected their life, their family, their health, and they're still there today. It is it's so sad. It, it can be so debilitating in our own lives. And you can be stuck, and you can be stuck, and your future and your promise and your fruitfulness can really be compromised when you get to that place. This morning, I want to talk to you about... Uh, some people who were stuck, and as we finish out this series, and it's been such a good series for me and hopefully for you, it's not uncommon for people to get stuck, and it's not uncommon for good people to get stuck. People better than you and I have been stuck. When I read in Hebrews chapter 11, the roll call of faith, you've ever heard it termed that way, the roll call of faith, and we have these champions, these names of the hall of fame of faith, if you will. And as I read those this week and I looked at that passage, I began to think, you know, some of these people were stuck in, in big ways. You, you think about Noah. Noah was stuck in a very uh, horrible place, a world of sin and a world of despair and violence. And God floated him above that stuck place of that world. Abraham was stuck in a childless relationship, and we know he's called to a place, and God promised him something, but it took about 25 years for that promise to come to fruition. But for a while, he was stuck. Jacob was stuck in a life of deception. Uh, you know, he deceived his brother. He deceived his uh, father. He, he's going through this life of deception. But God turned it around for Jacob. Uh, we know Moses was stuck in the wilderness with millions of griping people. Uh, Picture this, you're in the car driving, and there's two million people in the back seat saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And how many of you have got tired of hearing that over and over and over again? But he was stuck, and God got him out of that. Gideon was stuck in his fear and his insignificance. Lord, I'm nobody. I'm afraid. You know, those Midianites, they've controlled everything. Samson was stuck in a life of uh, very fleshly disobedience. And David was stuck in immorality and adultery. But we call these people heroes of faith. Even good people get stuck. But God gets them out. This is Psalm chapter 34, verse 19. 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Everybody say all. all. You know what that's saying? Everybody goes through stuff. You're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to go through disappointment. You're going to go through tough relationships. You're going to go through things that you don't like. But that verse says, the Lord delivers us. And I believe what God says. I believe he does deliver us. And each one of these people that I just listed, from Noah to David, they had issues in their life, but they had to rise up and pull them out of their dilemma and move forward with the grace and the love and the strength of God. And you can do that. And certainly I can do that, and we must do that. Now before we read our text this morning, I want to give you some background. So we're in 2 Kings, if you want to kind of orient there this morning. And this is a tremendous account that has a lot of great lessons for us today. So the kingdom is divided, Israel on the north, Judah on the south. Israel never had any good kings. Judah had good kings and bad kings. Israel never had a good one. They had wandered from God. They were worshiping idols. They had tried to be like some of the other nations. And now the Syrians, uh, the Syrian king, uh, Ben-Hadad, he came down with a huge force And Elisha is the prophet of Israel at this time. The capital is Samaria. And the Syrians surround Samaria and they put a siege on the city. Days, weeks, months go by. Now, I don't know what it looks like at the Walmart in Syria. But after a few weeks of no trucks coming in, uh, all the shelves are empty. People are starving. They're dying. Uh, they're eating the droppings of birds. They would eat the bird if they could catch it, but if a bird flew over and did its bird stuff on your windshield of your chariot, they would scrape it off and they would eat it. A head of a donkey was going for about $700 to $800. I don't know how much good food's in a donkey's head, but I don't want to know how much good food is in a donkey's head. So they're eating their animals, They're trying to eke out just survival. Then it turns to cannibalism. What's interesting with this is I begin to research this, and in Deuteronomy 28, God said, say that with me, God said, if you ever turn from me, armies will come and besiege your cities, and you will eat your own children. He said that hundreds of years before this ever happened. How many of you know God knows what will happen to us if we forsake Him? So we need to serve Him. So hundreds of years before this happened, God says, if you forsake me, this will be what happens. And it happened exactly as God said. How many of you believe we need to listen to God? So here they are. The king is walking through the city, horrible conditions, and he hears this conversation Two women pleading for help. We need help because we said that we will eat my son today and tomorrow we'll eat your son. And so that day they ate this lady's son, but the next day the other mother hid her son and now she's upset because they're not eating the other woman's son. How horrible is this? Absolutely, absolutely horrible. And the king tears his clothes and he begins to look for Elisha and he wants to cut his head off. But Elisha knows they're coming. And when they get there, 
this is the prophetic word of Elisha the prophet. How many of you know God always has a remnant? He always has a people. And Elisha says to this group that comes to cut his head off, he said, tomorrow at this time, there will be food in the city selling for cheap prices. Let's go on the story. Look with me, if you will, 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. But Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow, about this time, a sea, which is the measurement of flying flour, shall be sold for a shekel. Two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, Elisha speaking, You shall sit with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we will die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. Boy, that's having a happy day, isn't it? So there's three areas of stuck in this story. So if you have a pencil and paper, I want you to write it down. Number one, there's a city stuck in the grip of the enemy. There's a city stuck in the grip of the enemy. Now, folks, not only can a city be stuck in the grip of an enemy, a whole nation can be stuck in the grip of an enemy. And we in America, we have to be careful because we tend to slouch toward the side that we shouldn't slouch to. Somebody say amen. Amen. And we have to be very careful. The enemy comes for three reasons, to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, should we be um, mag? you know, anonymous to those who speak evil against us, those who hurt us, that, that's true. But behind that, there is the real enemy. We're not warned against flesh and blood, but there's a real enemy out there that wants to see you destroyed. And we have to realize that enemy is so real, even though you can't see him, that we have to get our mind, our spiritual mind around it. God gives us armor for this, this battle But I want you to see what God says about you facing your enemy. This is in Exodus 23, verse 22. Now, let me say this before I read these verses. Last night, I began to read these. And as I began to read this, I believe the Holy Spirit began to rise up in my soul. I really began to get bold and and thinking about what the Word of God says. Look at verse 22. I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Don't you love that? God says, if you will serve me, if you will walk in the way that I want you to walk, if you'll be obedient, your enemies will be my enemy. Your adversary will be my adversary. You know what he's saying? I'm going to come and fight your battle for you. Now listen, sometimes I wanted to fight my own battle. Have you ever wanted to fight your own battle? Oh yeah, I've done it so many times, it's embarrassing. Can I tell you one that's embarrassing? I, some of you have heard me tell this story. Years and years ago, when our first child was only about one year old, we're at Dillard's, and Carrie is shopping, and she said, take the baby, I'm going to go shop. So she goes to the lingerie department. Okay, now listen, we're, we're talking about bras and panties and stuff. And so she's over there, and, and so... Uh, I go somewhere else. I've got the baby. I said, I'll go somewhere else and shop. 
And I'm ready to, to go back to her and let, let's move on to the next department. And when I get there, there, there are three guys there that are following her and harassing her. And they're saying things to her. So I have a one-year-old baby in my arm. And these three guys are saying things to my wife. And I said, listen, guys. I said, you need to leave right now. Or you and I, we're going to clear out the lingerie department at Dillard's right now. And I was so upset. And I have a one-year-old baby in my arm threatening three guys in the panty aisle. Just tell me the truth here. And you say, well, listen, Pastor, they would have just, uh, you know, wiped the bra section out with you, and that would probably have been true. But I was ready to fight my own battle. But this is what I've learned. How many of you know, the older you get, the wiser you should be? Okay, let me talk to this section over here. Okay, the older you get, the wiser you should be, right? This is what God says. You don't have to fight your own battles all the time. He says, your enemies will be my enemies. Your adversaries will be my adversaries. This is what he's saying. I want to fight your battles, but you got to walk in the way that you need to walk. Now, this is Numbers chapter 10, verse 9. When you go to war in the land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Now, this is Luke chapter 10, so I'm going to go from the Old Testament to the New. Verse 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Wow, this is Jesus speaking. He said, how much authority do you have over the enemy? You have authority over all the power of the enemy. Folks, when the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, please don't turn your back on him. Face him in faith. Face him with the armor of God. Don't back up. Don't close the gates and say, I'm just going to hold on. Let's hold the fort till Jesus comes. No, you face the enemy and keep moving forward. This is a city that is stuck in the grip of the enemy. And right now, the enemy is winning. Here's the second area. There's a leader stuck in unbelief. I want you to say that with me. There is a leader stuck in unbelief. Verse 2, then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So this captain, this leader of the city is in total unbelief. He's unbelief. He can't believe what Elisha's saying. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19, the writer's rehearsing the episode of the children of Israel in the wilderness. Verse 19, this is what he says. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief will keep you stuck. We, we are moving to something. We're going somewhere. We're, we're achieving something. We're gaining something. We're possessing something. And you can only do that in faith. You cannot do that in unbelief. 
Unbelief stifles our progress. Unbelief stagnates us. Unbelief gets us stuck. And this guy is stuck in his unbelief. Now here's the third group here that's stuck. A city's stuck. A man's stuck in his unbelief. And there are four lepers stuck between decisions. Verse 3. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let's enter the city. The famine is in the city and we will die there. If we sit there, if we sit here, we'll die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. Oh, wow. Those, those are good choices, aren't they? You know what this is called between a rock and a hard place, right? But notice what they did. They decided to move forward. They decided to move forward. Now, now here's their options. Please listen. The odds are not in their favor, but they were willing to try something. So, so here's the price of admission. If you're stuck like these four lepers, here are their options. To go back into the city where they're not going to be welcome, they may die, and they said, we will die. To stay at the gate, they said, we will die. But here's option number three. Let's move forward, and possibly something good could come out of us going to the Syrian camp. So let me advise you. Going back is not a good option for you. Going back is not a good option for you. Staying where you are, stuck, is not a good option for you. But here's the best option for you, and you may say, well, listen, uh, I don't see any good option for me. Okay, Uh, that's good. I'm with you. But at least try to go forward because you'll never know what God might do. You'll never know what God might do. So what I want you to see this morning is how quickly this thing turns around. Verse 5. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses, the sound of a great army. So that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent, They ate and they drank. They carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent, carried off things from it, went and hid them. How many of you know they're living high on the hog now? Large and in charge. Now now listen, those armies that would besiege a whole city were huge. Think this with me. Maybe there was 10,000, maybe 50,000, maybe 100,000 people there in that army. Think about this. What kind of supply and provision would you have to have to supply 100,000 warriors with food, with clothing, with armament, with with shelter, tents? What kind of money would you have to have to, to buy the provision on the way or secure the provision on the way? So these guys, they walk into this huge camp that's circling around, besieging Samaria, and there's nobody there. 
And so they go in, and, and all the beans and the ham hocks are still there on, on, on the stove. And, and the roasted chicken and, uh, you know, the steaks are out on the grill. And all the money and the clothes and everything's there. And these guys think they died and went to heaven. I mean, they're there, they're enjoying this. But they think this is not good for us just to keep this to ourselves because there's people inside the city that are dying. So, listen, your willingness to move forward creates a wave of blessings to other people. Your willingness to move forward creates a wave of blessings to other people. What would happen if you got unstuck and you move forward with a positive attitude, would it affect the people around you? And the answer is absolutely yes. What if you decided to have a good attitude as far as the attitude that you've had for the last five years? Oh, it's so quiet in here. I mean, everything's negative. And all of a sudden, one day you wake up and you have a positive attitude. You, you, know, you smell the roses. You, you're looking forward to the future. Would that affect anybody around you? Absolutely. One day I came home from church, and some of you can remember. Do you remember the old boards they used to post in lobbies and foyers of the church that said, Sunday school, this how many people? And, you know, service this many people, offering this much money. How many remember those? Yeah, we used to have one. Until, until, my wife said this. She said, Mike, it's pretty sad. I know what kind of week we're going to have when I see the numbers on the board. How do you know that resonated with me? You know what she's saying? That sometimes your attitude at home is predicated on what happened at church. Guess what we did at the board? Gave it the heave-ho. Used to have it in my office. I don't know where it is, but uh, no board for that, for everyone to see. Not that we're hiding anything, but you know what? Your life is not predicated on everything that goes on around you. Your life is determined about how you serve God and where you're headed. That's how your life is based, right? So we have to be careful. So these guys are willing to go forward. Look at verse 9. They said to one another, we're not doing the right thing here. This day is a day of good news. If we're silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, we came to the camp of the Syrians and... Behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied, the donkeys tied, the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we're hungry. Therefore, they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city." Then one of his servants said, let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left here will, be, will, will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians, saying, go see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan, and behold, all the way 
was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste, and the messengers returned and told the king. You remember it gives the number of the horses? You know why they're giving the number of the horses? Because they only have so many horses left. You know what they did with the rest of the horses? They ate them. They're eating, they're eating their horses. They're eating their donkeys. But now remember two things. Remember the words of Elisha and remember the words of the captain. Remember? This is the rehearsal in verse 16. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel, two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate so that he died as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. For when the man of God had said to the king, two seas of barley shall be sold for a shekel, a sea of fine flour for a shekel, about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And as he said, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. You know what happened? When someone said, there's food in the camp, and here's the guy who's watching the gate. How many know there was a stampede out that gate, and the guy who was keeping the gate, who was the guy who said, there's no way this can happen, what happened to him? He got run over. He, he got trampled in, in the run for the food. How many of you know it's always better to live in faith than to live in unbelief? This guy, stuck in his unbelief, died because he did not believe the Word of God. Now, I want you to do something for me. I want you in your mind, in your heart, saying, I'm not going to get stuck in my unbelief. I may not see it today, but here is the key. God can turn your situation around so quickly it blows your mind. Days, weeks, Months, horrible, horrible, horrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. But in one moment, God turns this thing around. And the guy said, there's no way tomorrow that that will ever happen. Folks, you believe the Word of God more than you believe your unbelief. Amen? We have to walk in faith. And we must walk in faith because we're going somewhere, we're gaining something, we're possessing something, and therefore we have to move in faith. There's a city stuck, there's a guy stuck in unbelief, and there are four lepers stuck in the, they're stuck in the worst, worst condition. You remember James Dyson, 15 years trying to figure this out, at the point of bankruptcy, spent all the money he had, 5,127 attempts later, now he's worth $20 billion. You know what he did? He just kept putting one foot in front of another, keep trying, keep moving forward, don't get stuck, don't give up. Let me tell you what I love about this story. Listen, please. As horrible as it is in the city, as horrible as it is for the king, as horrible as it is for this captain, as horrible as it is for these women resorting to cannibalism. 
The most vulnerable people in the story are the four lepers. Do you know who the star of the story is? You say, well, it's God. I'm with you. But outside of God, you know who the stars of the story are? The star of the story are the lepers. These are the most vulnerable people in this story. The people in the city don't want them because they're lepers. They can't go back in. They have nowhere to go outside. And they finally said this, let's just get up and do something. And maybe that's your key today. Let me get up and do something just to see what God will do. And how many of you know God can do amazing things? Maybe today you're stuck in a bad situation. Maybe today it's with a child, with an illness. It, it could be a health issue. could be finances, job. could be marriage, relationships. You may be depressed, despondent, got a bad report. Let me tell you, tomorrow God can turn this thing completely around because that's what God does. That's why you need to keep believing. You need to keep going forward. Don't get stuck behind the gate, in front of the gate, it's so amazing to me that the, the heroes are the most vulnerable people in this story. These guys just have the death sentence just all over them. You know what, what I think God is saying? Let me just show you the worst case scenario with the worst people and just let me show you what I can do. I can turn this thing around so quick it will blow your ever-loving mind. You know what? God can turn your situation around so quick, it can blow your ever-loving mind. That's why we got to believe. That's why you got to keep going forward. That's why you got to keep putting one foot in front of another. Maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, I'm stuck. That's fine. A lot of great people have been stuck. Just don't stay there. Joseph, have you ever been stuck? You remember the pit? I was stuck there. Jeremiah, you ever been stuck? Honey, you want to talk about stuck? I was stuck up to here. They had to lower a rope and some rags to get me out of the mire. I was stuck, 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 stuck. But you know what God can do? He can come to your stuckness and my stuckness, your issue and my issue, and he can throw his lifeline down to you, and tomorrow this thing will completely change because that's what God does. That's what God does. You have a heavenly Father, as we sing about today, that is for you, that is for you, that is for you, and not against you. Matter of fact, you have a God in heaven that says, your enemies will be my enemies and your adversaries will be my adversaries. I'm going to turn this around for you. You're going to leave victorious in this situation because you're my child walking in my ways and I'm going to show myself strong through your life. My friends, that is so encouraging. And we have to believe what God said. Would you bow your head with me today? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.